Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. Did you know that you can claim CME credits for many of the TMA Practice Well podcast episodes? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's www.texmed.org forward slash CME. T-O-G-O, to register for your episode and follow the instructions to claim CME. Please be advised that the information and opinions presented as part of this program should not be used or referred to as primary legal sources and does not replace the advice of your healthcare attorney. Nor should the information and opinions presented as part of this program be construed as establishing medical standards of care for the purposes of litigation, including expert testimony. The standard of care is dependent upon the particular facts and circumstances of each individual case, and no generalization can be made that would apply in all cases. Hi, I'm Cheryl Kreviak. I manage the TMA Education Center and produce the TMA Practice Well podcast. And this is Ask the Expert, where you send in your questions and TMA expert staff and guests provide answers. This episode is moderated by Sylvia Salazar, AVP of Membership and Leadership Development. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Today's Ask the Expert virtual event is the end of the public health emergency. And with us today, we have Robert Bennett, Vice President for TMA Medical Economics, Shannon Vogel, Associate Vice President for TMA Health Information Technology, and Cara Benson, Director of TMA Practice Management and Reimbursement Services. So first, I'm going to turn it over to Robert Bennett, our Vice President of TMA Medical Economics. Robert? Thank you, Sylvia, and good afternoon. Thank you for joining TMA uh, to discuss the end of the public health emergency and what that means for your medical practice. Let's uh, dive right in. As we know, the pandemic's been here for a few years, and the administration has announced that it'll end May 11th, and the flexibilities that were provided during the public health emergency will end. So what does this mean for your Medicare patients? They will continue to have access to COVID-19 vaccines without cost sharing, uh, and they can continue to receive treatment and antigen tests with no cost sharing if it's ordered by a physician or a prescribing practitioner in that state. There are no uh, changes in Medicare coverage for those that have been exposed to COVID-19, and also uh, if cost sharing and deductibles, if they do apply now, they'll continue to apply. For Medicaid and CHIP, which we're going to get into in a little bit more here in a second, but just in terms of uh, testing and coverage, states must provide coverage without cost sharing through the end of September 30th, 2024. So that's a little bit different than the May deadline. And for privately insured, which we'll discuss here in a little bit more, most uh, insurers will continue to cover vaccines if it's provided by an in-network healthcare physician without cost sharing. And finally, after the end of the May 11th public health emergency, mandatory coverage for over-the-counter tests will end 
though this does depend on the specific health plan. The implications for the end of the public health emergency aren't just testing and uh, vaccines. It also coincides with a separate process uh, called Medicaid unwinding. This is because the federal government called for those to get expanded Medicaid insurance. The uh, federal government said it would increase Medicaid matching dollars for states during the public health emergency, but Texas now has to go through the process of unwinding. So that means they're going to go through and check eligibility for more than 2.5 million Texas whose coverage is in Medicaid has depended on the uh, COVID-19 funding. So this is going to be a major undertaking. You might be getting uh, asked questions by your patients, whether this is legitimate. If they're not eligible for Texas Medicaid, the educational resources send them to, to other outlets, such as the federal marketplace that they might be eligible for now. So more to come on that. And with that, I'm going to shift it over to Shannon to talk more about telehealth issues. Thank you, Robert. And hello, everybody. Welcome. Glad you're with us today. So there are a lot of changes coming as the public health emergency ends. And TMA did develop this resource that is on our telemedicine page, easily linked from there so that you can reference it or share it with others who may need the information. But I just want to go through this very quickly. Some of the services will be extended as far as the public health emergency waiver. So not everything ends on May 11th when the public health emergency ends. So uh, Medicare will continue to cover for certain visit types and cover some at parity. They will allow the virtual check-ins. The originating site where the patient can be in their own home, that continues through uh, December 31 of 2024. So it's nice to have that extension and hopefully Congress will act and make that uh, a permanent change. Some of the things that don't extend are around Medicare enrollment or CMS enrollment. So please be aware of that. And then the other that I, I want to call out because of my role in health information technology is that the telehealth platforms. During the public health emergency, you were allowed to use things like FaceTime or Zoom or other non-HIPAA compliant platforms, and that will end May 11th. So after May 11th, you'll have to try to, um, not try to, you will need to use a HIPAA compliant platform as you conduct telehealth or telemedicine visits. So if you've not already pivoted to something that is HIPAA compliant, I think now is a good time to start thinking about your plan and figuring out what you should do. We do have some tools on the TMA website to help you shop for telemedicine platforms, things that such as some vendor options that talk about what different vendors offer. It's not inclusive of every telehealth vendor out there because as you can imagine, as telehealth grew, so did the number of vendors that offer it. And then telemedicine evaluation criteria, while the criteria on the list may not be all, all of it may not be relevant to you and to your practice. Some of it may be, and you can sift through and see what is important. But again, our telemedicine page, textmed.org forward slash telemedicine, lots of information out there to help you as you consider decisions and how to best use telehealth in your practice. And I will now pass it to my colleague, Cara. Thank you, Shannon. So a couple things that I want to point out. The first one deals with the virtual direct supervision. This was a major change during the public health emergency. As of December 31st, 2023, the supervising physician must be in the physical location 
the virtual presence that was once added to the definition will no longer be there. And e-visits and virtual check-in, um, they will no longer be allowed for new patients. It will go back to being only allowed for established patients only. And then payment parity, of course, this is something that we've constantly watched and payment will be reduced to the facility rate. We are actively watching all the commercial health plans as well. And some maintain that they will pay parity. So as the PHE comes to an end, we will continue watching the health plans, Medicare and Medicaid, as they roll out new information. And we will provide that to you. Thank Thanks, you. Cara. And I just want to point out uh, Texas Medicine Today. That's where we post most of our daily information and that information would, would be about Medicare, Medicaid, private insurers, changes at the end of the COVID public health emergency. We also compile those resources in the TMA public health COVID-19 website. And with that, Sylvia, I think we're ready to, to turn back and see what questions our members have for us today, and we'll do our best to answer them. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Robert. And thank you to the other speakers. Uh, just a reminder that we will be posting these resources to the Ask the Expert page. So again, that's textmed.org forward slash ask the expert. Um, so the question is, will audio only still be covered via telephone only? So because of the Consolidated Appropriations Act, Medicare will continue to allow audio only. Now, this doesn't necessarily translate to the commercial health plans. Some are not going to be allowing audio only and contend that there must be audio and visual, not just audio only. So it, it will be very important to watch the commercial pairs um, individually as well. Thanks, Cara. Next question is, will audio only be reimbursed at the current rate? The audio only, that is one of those things that we're just going to have to continue to watch. Now, audio only, there were three codes that were being used for phone calls that were not paid at parity because they had their own fee schedule at that time. So whether the audio only in general will be reimbursed as they currently are remain to be unseen at this point. So the next question is any chance they could extend the virtual direct supervision rule? This is a huge issue for rural medicine and for large groups with multiple locations. This is Robert. I'll, I'll take a stab. I mean, there's always a chance we'll see and, and educate members via Texas Medicine today, but uh, right now there's no discussion on, on extending this, um, though that's something that we're monitoring. And the way that it is now, it is extended through December 31 of this year. I know that's not the lengthy extension of some of the other flexibilities, but there's a little bit of time. Um, for patients who are uninsured, what are the options for COVID testing, Paxlovid, or other therapeutics? Hi, this is Robert. For uninsured patients, there's a, a dedicated hhs.gov website uh, on this topic. Vaccines are still free for anyone living in the United States. So that's not just citizens, that's anyone living. For uninsured, there's links to find low or no cost testing how to find vaccines and, and boosters, how to find free masks, and going to a community health center is, is what HHS is recommending. 
then they also steer you if you're uninsured toward the federal marketplace enrollment website. So that's how they're, they're pivoting. There's also separate uninsured programs administered by HRSA, Health Resources Services Administration. That program has stopped accepting claims due to lack of sufficient funds. There was a, a portal that opened and closed, but those are the resources for, for uninsured patients at this time. Thank you, Robert. So Shannon, you had talked earlier about how to choose a platform. Someone is specifically asking, is Doximity a platform HIPAA compliant you would recommend? So just as one caveat, I'll say that TMA does not quote unquote recommend platforms. We're very careful about that. We'd rather, our direction has been to provide the resources to help you shop and help you make a good decision. That said, physicians that have mentioned to me that they use Doximity have been happy with it. But again, as far as a recommendation, we, we just don't make that because it really does depend on what the needs are of your practice. And I'll, I'll just go to make a few recommendations if I could about what to consider when you look at platforms, you know, most of you, if not all of you are using an electronic health record, almost every EHR now has a tethered telemedicine platform. They are very likely going to charge an extra fee to use that. So is that fee worth it for the value that you get? If not, I would not feel married to that, but I think that would possibly be the first place you might evaluate to see what they have. The more sophisticated the platform is, the more expensive it's going to be. There are some out there that are very low cost. You're going to most likely be documenting in your current EHR, so you don't need a telemedicine platform that has necessarily documentation capabilities unless that's all you're using. And then one way to make sure that a platform is HIPAA compliant is that the vendor will want to execute a business associate agreement with you or you with them, and they would be willing to sign it. So that is one way to um, make sure if they're not willing to sign a BAA or enter a BAA with you, that would be um, a, a serious red flag. So hopefully that helps. But again, resources on our website to help make those choices. Thank you, Shannon. That's very helpful. Let's see, I've got two more questions. Um, for Shannon, for telemedicine, will the physician need to be in the office or can they be at home? Uh, they can offer the telemedicine visit from their home. They don't have to be in their office. The originating site restriction really was directed at where the patient is. Prior to the, the waivers, the patient had to either be, um, well, they couldn't be in their home. They had to be at a, a telemedicine site where they had a telemedicine presenter assisting with the visit. This was a, a Medicare regulation. But no, the physician can be in their home. And I have one more question. Will the TMA be responding to the DEA proposed rules regarding prescriptions of controlled substances by telemedicine? These rules could have a big impact on access to telepsychiatry, especially child psychiatry and addiction psychiatry. I will happily take that one because I am putting the finishing touches on our comment letter now. So yes, we will be responding to both the pair of regs or proposed regs that the DEA did put forth. And I'll just, you know, to inform the group, part of what the DEA is proposing post-pandemic, and they gave a very short time frame on these comments. They released the proposed regs on March 1 with a March 31 deadline, but I'm, I'm sure that is so that they can hurry up and put the final regulation out by May 11. But what they are proposing is that in order to prescribe controlled substances via telemedicine visit, they can prescribe 30 days worth of medication. And then at that time, there needs to be an in-person visit. The in-person visit does not have to be with the telemedicine prescriber 
but it could be with another DEA registered practitioner. Um, so you would be, perhaps the patient would be live with another DEA prescribed practitioner and then having the prescriber, the telemedicine prescriber, then uh, joining the visit virtually. So you would have then three participants in this visit. Right now, as our draft stands, and this is aligned with what the AMA is also going to propose back or comment on, we would like to ask for um, six months instead of 30 days. It's sometimes difficult to get an in-person visit with anybody within 30 days. So that is one of the areas that we will be asking for something different than what they are proposing. But yes, we will be commenting. Thank you for that, Shannon. Another question, will TMA update the resource page to include any commercial updates? Yes, this is Cara. Stephanie, that's a great question. And we will be updating the resource page as the commercial payers update their virtual or telemedicine policies. We will make sure that that information is posted. Now let's stand on that, Sylvia, if you don't mind, that sure. uh, in addition to updating the resource page, TMA is meeting with the five top payers in Texas as part of our rebuilding our post public health emergency relationships with them. We've been doing Zoom meetings, but wanting to meet them face-to-face. I'll end with telehealth use and what the plans intend to do is on those agendas for these upcoming meetings. Sylvia, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but um, I just want to go back to Dr. Jane's question. And if there are other areas of the regulations that you're passionate about that you feel like TMA should be addressing, in addition to what I've already told you, please feel free to email that to me. I, I would like to hear from you if, if there is more to add. Thank you. Again, we will put the resources um, and information on this topic on the Ask the Expert page. So yeah, I'd like to mention one that hasn't been asked, but we know that costs are increasing. There's inflation. There's time to hire your staff and do all this coding and comply with telehealth. Wanted to point out that uh, TMA is going to be supporting a survey coming up this summer. Uh, and we're going to ask physicians and practice administrators to, to spend time answering the, the, these questions. It's going to help inform the practice expense data that's used to pay physicians for the practice expense component of, of providing care. It's a, a national survey. It's targeted to physicians. We know it's going to take 30 minutes to an hour to complete. This is not a uh, unimportant survey. This is this is very critical to do. So just wanted to mention that in the terms of, of the public health emergency, we know that things are more expensive now, and uh, we ask you to complete the survey when it comes out. More in TMT to come. If you're not already receiving Texas Medicine Today, which is TMA's daily e-newsletter, then that's TMT for short, and that's where you would get that information. So please do call the TMA Knowledge Center to get signed up for that. Um, so there are a few more questions. Um, the first one is, does the medical clinic or patient need to initiate a telehealth appointment? That would be the patient. Now, if you're in, say, a value-based care situation and you're not charging the patient and you're doing, you're wanting to do a check-in with the patient, then certainly, you know, you could reach out to the patient as you normally would, but but typically it is the patient that initiates the appointment. For example, the patient may call and 
ask for an appointment and, and maybe the patient specifically says, do you offer telemedicine appointments? I think that what I need I could be handled as a telemedicine visit. And not that it's up to the patient to decide if the physician agrees that the same standard of care can be met in a telemedicine uh, appointment, then certainly that is something that you could offer to the patient, but it is typically the patient initiating the appointment. Which reminds me, if you are offering telemedicine, make sure your patients know that. You do have to have a separate consent for telemedicine visits. So maybe when they come into the office, as you educate them, that's a perfect time to go ahead and have them sign the consent. They can do it verbally and you document it. But again, as part of, you know, just your practice operations, let your patients know. Good advice. Okay. We've got another question. Can you clarify the payment changes for telemedicine video visits going from complete parity to charges typical for the facility? So currently, right now, the payment is based off non-facility payment, the Medicare fee schedule. When it changes, it's going to be based off the facility payment, which is typically lower than non-facility. And can you expand on requirement of supervising physician needing to be physically present for telemedicine? Does this apply to certain specialties? i.e. psychiatry or therapies, so the supervising physician cannot physically be at another location than where the mid-level is at for primary care pediatrics. Yes, this is Cara again. As it stands, the physician does not have to be in the same suite. So the direct supervision for incident two requires that a supervising physician be in the same suite as a mid-level. So the physician would need to be physically available should the mid-level need any assistance. And it would apply to all specialties. Thank you, Cara. So it looks like we've come to the end of our time today, but I want to thank you all for joining us for this Ask the Expert program. As a reminder, you can visit textmed.org forward slash ask the expert to find upcoming Ask the Expert dates resource links on these topics, and podcast recordings of prior Ask the Expert events. Thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you for your membership. We hope you take away practical tips you can start using today. Check the episode description for the links to Claim CME and the full list of Ask the Expert episodes. Remember to like and follow the TMA Practice Well podcast so you get every episode. Until next time, stay well. TMA has a long, proud history of promoting patient rights, advocating for physicians, and providing real solutions for your practice. We can accomplish so much when we unite in one voice. Call the TMA Knowledge Center at 1-800-880-7955 or visit texmed.org to find out how you can join or renew your membership today.